Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs went into Columbus shorthanded with no Gustavo Bo or Dylan Barrero due to injury, but despite the lack of offensive firepower, the team takes away a point in a scoreless draw. The team took a hard-fought point, and Giacomo Brioni made his Revolution debut, but overall, this is a game that will not be shown on ESPN Classic anytime in the near future. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Chris Lucas. Chris, how are you? I'm doing uh, fantastic, you know, uh, not much to say. I don't know. A nil-nil draw, like, I think this is probably one of the most exciting nil-nil draws that you'll probably see. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's still scoreless. Um, it's been, there's still a lot to talk about when it comes to this game. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and overall, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, no complaints personally, and uh, I'm just uh, ready to break this one down how about you how are you doing uh, good uh made through that intro despite a couple of stumbles there i, I will say this right, was a very interesting it was a hard fart is that what you hard, said hard fart point yes 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 uh yeah a very interesting game and a very boring game at the same time we have a lot to talk about before we get to that though i do want to talk about something going on next week uh there will be the supporters cup game between the rebellion and the midnight riders we don't have everything completely set up yet, but if you are not going to that game but would like to watch it online, we will be attempting to live stream that game. Uh, a lot of the finer details need to be worked out, but I will be doing commentary for that game as well. So there'll be more details later th- uh, throughout this week on social media. So make sure you are following uh, The Rebellion on Twitter, uh, and I believe they have a YouTube account that we will be streaming it through. Um, but either way, we'll, we'll be posting that on our Twitter and probably our Instagram later this week. Uh, and then the rebellion will probably tweet out the live stream as well. So, uh, pay attention for that. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a good live stream. I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. This is all very, very new to me. Chris, you are our technical person. You will not be there. So, uh, it's going to be interesting, but if I know our listeners, they will be rooting for a disaster and they will be rooting for very poor, uh, production to laugh at me. So I, I think, if anything, that's just going to increase viewership. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on later this week that I want to just lead off the show with. So, uh, Chris, Greg, I that think w- you'll be fine. I think you'll be just yeah. fine. But you uh, know, don't let, tell if, our listeners. If the rebellion ever want to host the Supporters Cup up in uh, up in Maine, I'm their guy. So <laughs> Chris will be Chris will be watching and laughing along with you guys uh, right. next Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, by the way, but let's get into this Columbus game. No, no draw. Chris, what's your key takeaway from this game? I think I wanted to talk about Sebastian Legette. I think someone that kind of went a bit under the radar yesterday uh, for me, he was one of the best players on the field. Um, he was very consistent. Uh, he he could have been a bit more involved, I guess, you know, if you want to look at that, he did have 48 touches over 90 minutes. So not terrible, um, much more involved than what we've seen him be. And just in general, I thought he was just uh it just showed that he can actually be an asset um, to this team. And if he continues to play like that um, or better, as we know he can be or more impactful, I guess is a, a better verb to use there. But um, you know, it shows that going forward, I think Sebastian Legette is going to be a player that we can really rely on. And uh, I think the Revs are going to need to rely on him, but I mean, overall a great game from him. 
uh, 97% passing on uh, on 32 attempts. But not only that, I thought that tracking back defensively, I thought he did pretty good. Uh, 100% on his tackles, that was only two attempts, but still two for two. You can't complain about that. Uh, came back five recoveries is a big number that stands out to me from him. Uh, as well as his duels, he was seven for eight. So very active from him. Um, and I thought that in a game where you're going to be playing like that, a very chippy game, the Revs played very compact, very deep. Uh, Sebastian Legette showed that he can come back and play in that type of formation and it just make an impact, um, even though it's not the impact going forward, putting uh, putting goals on the board for the Revs. But uh, the bigger issue for the, for the Revs all season long has been keeping the ball out of their own net. And uh, Sebastian Legette just just prove that that's uh that's something that he can do and i think do well and i think i mentioned earlier in the year that i like sebastian legette playing a bit more defensively anyway uh, and the fact that he does done it again now and has done well enough to be my key takeaway just proves my point uh even further so i'm just going to pat myself on the back uh, a little bit here but uh yeah sebastian legette i thought had a fantastic game and uh, hopefully just keeps getting better I think Sebastian Legette, a few people are kind of annoyed with his performance this year. And I think it's because of his salary. He's coming in on a premium salary. And without getting too deep into the numbers, the Revs have a little bit more salary cap room with the sale of Turner, with the sale of Tejan Buchanan. They can convert a million dollars of those transfers over into GAM. So they essentially expanded their cap uh, by quite a bit. And I think the, going into this season, they felt that they could afford some luxury players in, I'll say, role, role pieces. So Josie, you know, came in as the second striker uh, behind Buxa. Um, you know, obviously he's on a really absorbent salary and he hasn't worked out whatsoever. But uh, I think that salary is not as scary when you have kind of an expanded cap space number. Uh, you know, we, we talked about Omar Gonzalez and how that's a bad contract, how he's on starter money, but he never really was expected to be a starter. Uh, Sebastian Legette is coming in on about a million dollars of salary. I think somewhere between 925, I think it is. Uh, and, you know, for a role player, for a um, person who's a supporting player for Carlos Hill, I think that's a pretty big number. You're expecting a massive impact. And I think a lot of people are not really high on Legette because he has not been a world breaker. But if you look at his performances, he's been fairly consistent throughout this year. He set up some nice plays. He set up that Bogle a few weeks ago on the cutback in the New York City FC game. I think that's his most recent uh, dazzling assist. Uh, he, he's had some really, really good moments. He's had some nice crosses up to Books earlier in the season. I believe he has, what, five assists? Um, so... He's done pretty well in a supporting role, uh, and he's played very well, I, I feel, with Carlos Heel. When Carlos Heel is uh, kind of crowded out and isn't making much of an impact, it seems like there have been times where Sebastian Legette has kind of made an impact. So in this game, it's a little bit different. The Revs were playing a lot more defensively. They didn't really have a ton on offense to go off of. Um, we'll talk about Josie later. Don't worry about that. Uh, but he did pretty much everything right in this game. Uh, and, you know... I think if you talk about Carlos Hill or Gustavo Bo or Brioni and you say they did everything right in this game, the Revs have won. Uh, but I think Sebastian Legette currently in the system, um, you know, he's going to have really, really good games in draws or in losses. He's just not the the top guy on the field. So, um, yeah, uh, it's good that I think we highlighted a, a very, very strong performance from, I'll say, an offensive player. But really, it was a, a two way <laughs> performance from Legette last night. And I think one of the standout performances in a zero zero draw, along with the uh, defense and, and Petrovic last night. Yeah, absolutely. And a uh, quick stat correction. I think uh, uh, Sebastian Legette has four assists in MLS uh, uh, performances this year. Um, 
yeah that's, uh, that's not not wondered. doesn't doesn't stand out, but I feel like he's been pretty consistent for the team and and has been uh, playing all over the place. Has been a, a bit of a utility guy, playing in the midfield or playing on the wing. Uh, so I, I I think a, a very good addition to this team, and, and he's been working out very well. Um, I mean, I I will say I think that we should yeah expect a bit more from him overall, but I don't want to take away from when he has a good performance. So that's why he is my key takeaway. I thought that uh, he deserves some some. Uh, some a minute or two to be talked about. So yeah, good for, good from him. What what do you got for your takeaway? Sorry, I'm cutting you off. We're, we're going to be very positive today. My key takeaway is that uh, I want to talk about this defense and this back line. I think the last two weeks I have been fairly critical of this team for making very bad decisions and very dumb mistakes that have cost them points. And I think I have talked a lot about how I don't know if it's a mentality thing. I don't know if it's a regression thing. Um, but somewhere along this line, this back line doesn't look like a championship back line. Uh, and they, you know, more or less needed to get their head and, and play like they did last year. And this was a game where they were tested. Um, you know, I, I, it was it was not the prettiest of games. Expected goals. Columbus was at one uh, expected goal, according to Footmob. The Revs were at 0.21. Uh, but I, I thought the defense was pretty stellar. I thought this was the performance that was very much needed from this team. If you had told a lot of people that the Revs would be missing Gustavo Bo and Dylan Barrero and they would have three yellow cards, whatever it was, 35 minutes in, 39, 39 minutes in, um, I think you could kind of expect that defense to kind of collapse in on itself, but they only got better throughout this game. Uh, Andrew Farrell had six clearances in this game, um, 87% pass accuracy, three blocks. Three of those clearances were headed, by the way, five recoveries. Um, Henry Kessler had some, uh, I believe he had three clearances, sorry, two clearances. He had one off the line, won three tackles, um, four for five on ground duels. There were some very dangerous plays that were low crosses were in the box that I thought Farrell and Kessler came up big on. Uh, I think the play at the end where I believe it was Zellerayon uh, led their right back, whose name I do not know, Farsi. Uh, Farsi is running into the box, and I believe he nutmegs, uh, I believe it was Rivera, uh, Kessler reacts very, very well and gets to that ball right before Farsi does. But if Farsi beats him there or if Kessler is not paying attention, that is a clear shot on goal. Uh, Kessler also, as I say, cleared the ball off the line off of that uh, incredible Petrovic save. Um, we'll talk about Petrovic a little bit later, too. There's some more praise coming for him. But uh, Kessler, very good reaction time on that one as well. So in a month where we've seen defense get in their own way and make some very, very poor decisions, I was very impressed with the instincts last night, especially from the center back pairing. Uh, and, and you know, I think a lot of questions have been raised about Andrew Farrell uh, specifically and whether or not John Bell should go in over Andrew Farrell if Andrew Farrell has lost a step. I've made some of those comments myself. Uh, and that was a performance that really shut me up. So uh, big kudos to that back line. They needed a pretty, pretty solid performance and they got one. And I think if they play like that, this team is definitely making the playoffs, um, but it, it depends on if that consistency is there. So hopefully they build on it for next week. Yeah, the only thing I'm going to add to that is uh, on the on the flip side, I think while the backline had had a very solid night overall, there was definitely few momentary lapses. And without Georgi Petrovic in net, we necessarily would not be talking about the backline today. So there there were some mistakes that they had made. I know Farrell early on in the match got. Uh, crossed over. Um, it was a bad shot on net. I forget. Uh, I think it was Cucho Hernandez. Um, I can't. I can't remember exactly. I might be. Might be wrong on that. But it was within the first ten minutes of the match. Farrell fell down. Got totally crossed over uh, right at the top of the box. Um, but Petrovic just really 
saved the game for the Revs overall. I mean, uh, he got your man of the match. Uh, it's 8.0 rating on, on FootMob. Six saves. Um, so if you're having six saves in a match, typically there's some questions to be asked of what happened with the back line. Um, overall, those six saves could have been a lot more if the back line didn't step up the way that they had. Columbus really came out strong. Um, and the back line did answer them for the most part. But there were definitely uh, moments where Petrovic came up and, and saved that, save that clean sheet. I think there were some very, very good saves. Three of those six saves, by the way, were diving. We'll talk about Petrovic now yes, while, while we're on they the, were. the topic. The, the Santos save was, I, I think, the save of the match. Yeah. Uh, but but overall, if you're looking at Columbus, they had 58% possession, um, 17 shots. Expected goals was, I see on FootMob, it's 1.00. I thought I had it. I thought FootMob had 0.94. They, maybe they've updated the numbers somehow. I don't know. Expect goals work. But uh, expected goals on target, which uh, some people have told me is better way to measure goalkeeper performance. I'm not uh, sure. Uh, that was 1.71. So Petrovic was tested a little bit between somewhere between 1 and 1.75 expected goals. Um, but ultimately, there were just six shots on target in a game where Columbus had 17 total shots. Um, there were some big chances, uh, but ultimately, according to FootMob, only one big chance for Columbus in this game, zero for the Revs. Um, I, I think the Revs put together a very, very solid performance and limited chances and limited dangerous balls, especially in the box. Um, it seemed like Columbus was very, very frustrated with how the Revs played last night. And so um, I give a lot of credit. Not flawless, I, I should say, not flawless. You mentioned the Farrell play. I'll also bring up a play late in the game where Kessler gets beat and he kind of throws up his arm and elbows the guy as he's running past him. Uh, pro- probably a tactical foul, but, uh, you know, could have gotten a card. I think some referees would have given a card for the elbow to the face. I don't I don't think it was intentional what Kessler was doing, but um, certainly seemed like a, it, it led to a very dangerous free kick from Zellerayon. So, uh, or, or I should say a free kick in a dangerous area. But um, so not flawless, uh, but uh, let's talk about Petrovic. Uh, only actually, we've kind of already covered it. I, I just want to add, though, Distribution a bit questionable, uh, 44% pass accuracy, 23% on long balls. So Petrovic, not a great game in terms of distribution. That seems like something he's going to have to improve on. Uh, but I thought communication uh, a little bit better. Obviously, he didn't make a mistake like he did in Philadelphia. Um, you know, I, I don't have really any complaints from Petrovic other than the distribution. And um, I mean, I, I think I, I've seen people kind of looking at his expected goal numbers and you know, projecting it out over a 30 game season. And right now on this very small sample size, it's pretty elite. Uh, and and I, I think we're going to have to have a real conversation. If he finishes the year at this rate, um, if Petrovic is potentially, you know, on Matt Turner's level, uh, you know, as is uh, before he even develops in year one, uh, which is a ridiculous kind of statement uh, to, to say that he's already in the, a potential MLS goalkeeper of the year, but I feel like he's almost there. I mean, it, it, again, small sample, maybe it's a bit of a mirage right now, but um, I mean, I would not be shocked if he wins MLS goalkeeper of the year anytime in the near future. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, he's been outstanding and uh, he's only really made like one mistake that I could think of, which was last week. Um, was it last week, two weeks ago? Whatever yeah, last it was. Um, it take a couple of weeks off and doing the podcast. They all start running together. <laughs> um but uh, really uh, other than that one mi- mistake where he came out uh when he really shouldn't have he's not not a lot to to talk negatively about um again his distribution but as far as goalkeeping goes and, and keeping the ball out of the net it's just been fantastic it's been 
such an unexpected um success story i guess so far um obviously it's it's early to really call it a success but uh it it seems like it's it's going that way and it, you really couldn't hope for a better solution after matt turner goes it, it's looking great so far and uh yeah it, matt turner so difficult to replace and so far so good uh, on that signing so it's gonna get to the point where it's like carlos heel we really rarely ever talk about carlos heel because he just always plays amazing there's not a whole lot to say i feel like we're gonna get to that point with petrovic where yeah, he had a really good game again. Uh, so uh, let's move on to some of the negatives here. Uh, we got to talk about Josie. We're talking Josie today. So Bo and uh, Barrero both missed these games because of lower leg injuries. Actually, before we get to Josie, let's talk about that, Chris. Are we concerned mm-hmm. about these minor leg injuries? Uh, Barrero left uh, the Philadelphia game holding something. Uh, it, it's reported as minor. Same thing with Gustavo Bo, but Bo is a bit of a surprise. He finished the Philadelphia game, if I remember correctly, uh, and he was not on the injury report. Well, neither of them were on the injury report, which is a pretty useless whatever. I don't know why they still do him. But uh, a big shock with Gustavo Bo out, and he's had some injury problems. Uh, he's on fire right now, but you know it, it seems like injuries are plaguing him. Are we concerned about Bo and Barrero, uh, and are these trends starting to concern you? Yes and yes. Uh, I mean, Barrero, I think you guys talked about it in the last pod or maybe two pods ago, or maybe both of them. Um, I, I know it's been talked about in the past couple of weeks, and it hasn't necessarily been a concern yet, but it's been something that's been being watched. Uh, I know I, I believe Sean was saying that that's how he was feeling about it. And that's kind of how I was, too. But um, the fact that he's still not playing and I'm starting to kind of worry about it just a little bit because he's a bit too young to be having these kind of issues. Um, and then. Is this something where he's just taking small knocks here and there and it's not nothing to be worried about? I mean, who's to say? Because we're not really going to get that sort of information anyway. The transparency has been, you know, subpar. But uh, the bow one, yeah, that one definitely 100% concerns me because he seems to come up with these sort of leg injuries or like mystery lower body injuries out of nowhere. Uh, and then when he does, it's been a minor injury and he's missed more time than excuse me more time than what a minor injury would have you think you'd miss you know uh three four weeks at a time and uh, could we be looking at another month or so without gustavo bow i'm getting ahead of myself here but i mean i always start to starting to worry that now because that's sort of the information that we've been getting um something minor turns into something that's not so minor so yeah with with gustavo bow it, it definitely makes me worry with barrero i'm uh, I am starting to worry, but like not as much as Gustavo, but there's still time. He's still young, but I feel that, like that's Barrera, where I'm at. I feel like Barrera might have an adjustment period where Bo, whereas Bo, um, you know, they, they, they might be kind of easing Barrero in. He's still new to the team, uh, but Bo, you kind of need in the games down the stretch when you're fighting for playoff positioning. Um, resting Gustavo Bo at this stage doesn't really make a lot of sense. So it seems like this was a situation where, um, you know, he needs to sit. And so hopefully he's ready for Toronto next week. He's been great this season. Um, I feel like him missing the first half of the season for, you know, earlier in the year when he was out a ton, um, they really missed him. Uh, and they were very reliant on Adam Buxa. Certainly Buxa was uh, playing incredible uh, and playing out of his mind before he left. But uh, Gustavo Bo was certainly missed. And certainly they're a much stronger team uh, with Bo in the, uh, in the lineup. So uh, hopefully he gets out there. The Revs are not very strong when Josie Altador is in the lineup and we had him playing 82 minutes yesterday, zero shots from Josie seven for 12 passing. That's good for 58%, 20 touches, three of those passes 
uh, three of his 12 passes into the final third. Uh, he was four for five on ground duels. There's a positive. Uh, three for seven on aerial duels, uh, though. We have some questions about Josie. Jimbo on Twitter says Josie had his chance and failed. Uh, Asher Blake says, was this Josie's last chance? He looked unmo- unmotivated and was obviously frustrated anytime he lost the ball, but wasn't doing anything about it. Uh, he actually looked better defending corners. Uh, and then uh, Amax says, Josie getting... Uh, oh, actually, we'll get to that in a second. That, that's going to deal with the rumor. But Asher and Jimbo, obviously not feeling good about uh, Josie Altador. Chris, uh, what was your thought on Altador's performance? And do you think that was his last chance in terms of uh, winning minutes with the team? Well, I'll start with uh, how I feel. I, I mean, similar to, to Jimbo and Asher, like just disappointed with it. Uh, every time I see Josie out there, you know what Josie's capable of from his past and you're just hoping that that's still there somewhere and that he's just going to be able to unlock it and uh no I'm not like I'm not feeling any better about Josie and I I really wish I was um but it's it's been difficult because you keep getting your hopes up and he just kind of gets out there and has a couple of cool moments where he does something with the ball and you're like oh okay yeah maybe he's still got it you know he's got a nice touch with the ball He's able to put the ball where he want it or whatever. But overall, no, I mean, he hasn't been impacting the game. He hasn't been scoring. He's got one goal in the season. Uh, and it doesn't look like he's getting any closer to adding on to that tally. So it's just, it, it it's waning on me. Uh, I, I try to be very optimistic about it. And uh, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not optimistic right now. As far as it like being his last chance, uh no i don't think it's his last chance i think that he's got the whole season and i think that bruce is going to keep throwing him out there um i know there's some other talks that we'll get to uh later as you alluded to but no i mean i think uh i think bruce is going to keep throwing him out there because he'll probably show up at some point but i don't know if it's going to be a lasting you know it might just be one more goal uh in in cincinnati or something i don't know i'm just picking a random bad team but Actually, and they're not even that bad this year. So, <laughs> yeah, we're we're below Cincinnati. We can't we can't trash Cincinnati anymore. Um, <laughs> if you look at his stats from last year, he had 770, uh, 767 minutes last year. Um, he started eight games. He subbed in eight games. Um, scored four goals. Had nine shots on target. Eight shots off target. I compared that to this year, uh, where he started four games, subbed in thirteen games, six hundred minutes. So he's played about hundred and seventy minutes less. Uh, he has one goal, but he has two shots on target, six shots off target. He actually has six chances created. He has more chances created this year than last year. So maybe he's just, you know, focusing more on, on being a uh, distributor. Uh, but um, yeah, two shots on target in 600 minutes is not great for a striker. Uh, that's a pretty disappointing stat line overall. And certainly some of these things are 10 minute cameos and not great. I know some people were saying, oh, he looked a little bit better. After the Philly game, he came in for 10 minutes. He looked a little energetic. Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of a, he hasn't played 90 minutes all year. He's rarely played more than 45 minutes. Um, this was actually his longest performance of the year at 82 minutes. And I don't want to really be too harsh on this guy. But if you really want to just see a Jaron Duran level effort from a major league soccer player, I dare you to go watch Josie Altador's last five minutes in this game. I just, I, I do not either is not 90 minutes fit. 
or he is checking out. For some reason, the Revs decided to put him on the left side of the flank. Uh, and uh, when, when Vrioni came in, he pushed out to the left, and there's one play at around the 80th minute where Columbus has the ball on the left, they swing it around to the right, and Josie looks at the right back and basically just decides, I'm, I'm going to walk back. And the right back just blows right on by him and crosses the ball in, and it leads to a shot. It's right at Petrovic. But, I mean, it leads directly to a shot, and Josie Altador at no point has any interest in challenging or entering this space or getting in the way of this right back. So I don't know what Bruce's plan is here. Um, I, I think Josie is not 90 minutes fit. I don't think he's dangerous as a forward. I definitely don't think he should be on the wing. Um, I'm struggling to find where Josie fits on this team at all. Uh, and, and maybe it's just as a late target striker, get in the box and head something home. That I, I, I don't think we're getting anything more than that in terms of a role on the team. I, I certainly don't think he's an 82 minute player. Um, and, and it sucks to say, but we're, we're at a stage in the season where it's July and, you know, he's losing the ball and, you know, throwing his head back and, oh man, and kind of jogging back and walking back and forth. I mean, I, I, I cannot stress how Josie is, is not, should not be starting in any circumstance. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I mean, if you're going to let's throw money aside, right? Because that's going to be a losing argument anytime you bring that up with this in this situation, right? So ignore the contract, but Josie Altidore for the rest of the season, if he's able to come on in the final 10, 15 minutes and be an active presence inside the box and occasionally put one in the back of the net, is that going to be an acceptable end to the season? Would that be a successful end to the season for you, in your opinion? Obviously, let's ignore the money because. Yeah, yeah. The contract is a sunk cost at this stage and and. Even at the beginning of the season, when we looked at this signing and we said, you know, if he's a backup player, this is a luxury player in a backup role. It's a bad contract. But, hey, Josie Altador as a as a sub, that's incredible, you know, and, and he he was unhealthy last year. But, you know, as I say, he scored he scored four goals in, in 770 minutes for, for TFC. Um, that's not a horrific goal rate. Um, he, he wasn't useless last year for TFC. He was just. TFC wanted to bring in new designated players and he had an absorbent contract and they wanted to free up DP spot. Uh, I, I, I think if you want to bring him in kind of in the same role as we saw in Philadelphia, I think that's fine. But I mean, Chris, can, I'll be honest with you. If you are starting a player, if you could go back in time, if you were in charge of this lineup against Columbus, would you start Josie Altador over Justin Rennicks? Nope. Not at all. You, I would start uh, Rivera. Be honest. Uh, up up top as a striker? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Isn't he? He plays more striker, doesn't he? Am I mistaken? Well, he's a central central attacking mid. He'd be okay. a false nine. Yeah, I, I I like him up top. Just I, I like his act, how active he is. We're, um, we're down the depth chart at this stage. We're <laughs> we're going, but but I mean it's, sure. It's, but either one doesn't matter. Justin Rennick, Damian Rivera. Yeah, they're ahead of Marcos Diaz. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But what 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 were we expecting from Josie? I mean, I, I, I I'm kind of at a loss for words. Like, interesting still podcast. doing the Josie thing. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, 
we got a question here from AMAC who says, Josie getting a chance to show stuff so we can unload him to that team in Argentina. Either way, he was mad. I was really rooting for him to have a brace and maybe we can unload him down there. Um, touching on this Argentina rumor, I don't have the name. San Lorenzo, I believe. This is the, the, team, the name of the team. Um, that sounds accurate. They, uh, they were looking for a number nine. Josie Altador's name came up. Apparently, there was some clarification on Twitter uh, by one of the reporters on this story. Uh, apparently, the Revolution offered him to this Argentinian team. I guess they were, were looking around trying to get a forward, and Josie Altador was offered. Obviously, money was a big issue, uh, but uh, to my understanding, they found uh, a forward, so I would cross that off as a potential fit. Um, I also do know that Josie posted some cryptic stuff on Instagram about something about family. I know when he came to the Revs this season, uh, you know, he, he a, a lot of the appeal was that he had family in the area. I believe his wife has family in the area. So uh, not sure if there is a personal matter going on that might be impacting this as well. Uh, I don't want to speculate too much on that, uh, but maybe this is a situation where Josie could use a alternate, you know, choice of scenery and could get away from it for a little bit. And maybe the Revs, now that they have Rioni, uh, if Bo comes back healthy, uh, maybe this is a situation where Josie goes on loan somewhere. The Revs cut the cost of most of that loan, and they they free up that uh, senior roster spot. Uh, but uh, ultimately, I think that contract is a lost, you know, sunk cost. They're going to have to pay it off, uh, buy him out either next off season or, or the one after that. Um, but I don't see him being anything more than a, a ten minute. We're down a goal. We need someone to bang home a goal type of target forward. So. Greg, I have, I have a question for you. This is something that I've kind of thought about a bit, but I don't necessarily have the answer to, and I have not looked it up. Uh, you're much better with the roster stuff than I am. Are the Revs, like, in a hypothetical situation, able to loan Altador to, I don't know, uh, Birmingham Legion for <laughs> just for the sake of this conversation? And does that free up the roster spot? I believe... This would have been a, a very good question to ask me pre-show when I could have looked up this answer instead of quizzing me. But uh, you, brought, I mean, you brought up loaning him, and so that brought up my questions. I, I believe in order to loan to a USL side, you it can't be a player that's made an appearance in the regular season. So like Edward Kizza doesn't count because it was a season season long loan, quote unquote. But um, it, it was in a season where he didn't make an appearance with the team. Basically, the reason that rule is in place is so the Revs can't just, you know, two weeks to go in the regular season, loan a player that is, you know, on the bench to Revs 2 and bring up a different player. It's basically to avoid roster manipulation. Once you make a an appearance at MLS, I don't think you're allowed to be loaned to another USL team. Right. NISA. Here we go. New Amsterdam. <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll team up with Jermaine Jones again. Uh, let's talk oh, about... Yeah. Let's talk about Vrioni. Uh, we got our, our first look at the new designated player. 23 minutes played, five for seven passing, nine touches, three passes in the final third, uh, zero for two on ground duels, one for four on aerial duels. Uh, and Asher Blake asked us on Twitter, thoughts on Vrioni? Only got 30 minutes, but looked good movement-wise and on the ball. Uh, Chris, I don't have many takeaways from Vrioni. It is what it is. Um, it, you know, it's a 30-minute, 23-minute appearance where, uh, you know, the Revs aren't generating too much offense uh but uh nevertheless uh, did you have any takes on what you saw from uh Vironi, Vrioni um, it's gonna take me a while to get the pronunciation down uh first thoughts on Vrioni yeah Giacomo Vrioni yeah um I, I have nothing negative I think that's if that's what you're looking for I don't have it um I thought it was a fine 30 minutes or 23 minutes 
Um, there was a, a moment where he was getting into the box. Brennan by crossed it in um, and he went up to get it. And if that ball was a, I don't know, a couple inches lower, I feel like he would have got on it. He beat the defenders, um, showed a lot of promise in that one play. Other than that, he looks very active, uh, much more agile than what we're used to seeing with Adam Buxa or Gustavo Bo or Josie Altador. Um, and he looks more refined than a, uh, Without, I can't think of his name. We were just talking about him, Justin Rennicks. Um So I, I think we're getting a bit more of a dynamic striker uh, and a, a more agile, more dy- dynamic is probably the best word I could think of for it. Um, but yeah, not a whole lot really to say because it's just, it's such a short sample size, especially in that sort of situation where you're on the road, not necessarily looking for the game-winning goal, looking more to, to preserve the, the one point. Um, and not really pushing the attack. So, yeah, the couple of chances that he had, the couple touches he had on the ball, the dribbles that he showed, um, all looked fine. His highlight package looks promising. So, um, so far, so good. But uh, we'll have to get a better sample size before we can make any judgments. Uh, I agree with everything you said there. And uh, I do want to just quickly correct myself because uh, I, I Googled it while you were speaking. So the rule about uh, the player not appearing on a game day roster for the MLS club uh, is for loans to affiliate clubs. So Josie Altador cannot be loaned to Rebs 2, but hypothetically Birmingham Legion, I don't see any rule that would prevent them uh, to loaning him to MLS uh, load of a player by MLS, a club may loan any player from its senior roster or supplemental roster to a non-MLS club subject to league discretion. During the loan period, the club will receive roster relief, but not salary budget relief relief uh, unless otherwise determined in the loan agreement. So basically, they would still have to pay Josie's salary, but they would get the roster spot, which in this scenario would probably be, if, if they're bringing in two players, uh, would be would be valuable. So it, it works just like an international one. So uh, quick fact check there. Uh, Revs cannot loan him to Revs 2, but Birmingham Legion potentially pick up the phone, Jay Heaps. Um, Let's move on to some lineup notes. Uh, Wilford Captoom not in the lineup again. Second straight week, he is not in the uh, 18, which is really the 20 now. Uh, He has not appeared in a game since coming off at halftime for New York City FC. He had played 45 minutes plus in eight straight games. Uh, He was not even, again, not available on the bench. Maciel was the only central midfielder uh, available on the bench. Uh, We read into this last week about maybe either Captoom's in the doghouse or maybe he's lining up something uh, overseas and is potentially leaving. Uh, Chris, let's speculate further. Uh, do you think he is done with the team or do you think he is just in the doghouse? Well, I think there might even be a third option here, right? So I know what your thoughts are, but I'm wondering if he's injured. Uh, we know how accurate these injury reports are. We're not hearing anything about it. No one's saying anything. Um, why would he come off maybe at halftime against New York City? I mean, I guess that's a different situation. You had, what, a red was it red one red card three penalties and it was a mess I, I try to block that game out um so i mean uh, tactically there could have been reasons for him coming off but was there something else was he dealing with something did he pull up or something at the end of the first half and we all missed it uh, i don't know where he is I, I don't know why we're not seeing him I, I i'm more hoping that he's just got a slight knock or something like that because i think he's been pretty valuable this year he hasn't been worth his salary necessarily maybe closer to it but um i thought that he's been someone that i'm not going to be worried about if he's getting subbed on or starting i'd be like okay well he is what he is but you know it's similar to how i felt about um oh my god i can't think of his name the other the other wilford 
Zebo. Zahibo, thank you. Uh, it kind of similar to how I felt about Zahibo. You know, he he's gonna be there. He's gonna do his thing, but not necessarily gonna cost uh, cost you the game. Not gonna make any big mistakes. Uh, and I think Captain's been that, and he's shown that he can be a bit more agile on the ball, and he's shown that he can advance the play. Maybe he has shown that he's worth uh, a sale somewhere. I mean. The upside to that would be to free up an international roster spot. It would uh, free up, just, I guess, a regular roster spot as well. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, where do you want to take this speculation, Greg? Well, uh, first off, when you said I think there's a third option, I, I really thought for a moment you were going to say they're loaning him to Birmingham Legion, uh, which would have <laughs> been very, very funny. Uh, but you missed that. Uh, you, you missed setting up the perfect answer for your own joke. Um <laughs> I don't think he's been spectacular this year. He's been fine. He's been there. He's eaten up minutes. Um, also, by the way, Wilfred Zahibo made an all-star team. People forget that. So uh, I, I put Zahibo ahead of Captoom. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so if I meant to say that, I think that Captoom's been all-star worthy. That's not what I was inferring here. I mean, it's that's how I took it. But no, I mean, he's played 611 minutes. Um, you know, I'm looking at his season stats. Two chances created. Um you know, 12 for 14 on dribbles. That's cool. Um, he hasn't done a, a ton, uh, but I do think that this is a scenario where maybe if he's looking to move back overseas, you know, if you're a European player, and we'll talk about Tristison here in a second, too, because there's some news on this, too. Uh, if you're a European player, their, their season is starting, you know, at the end of summer. So if you know you're not going to be with the team following this year and you want to move back and, and you don't really have a role, um, I wonder if there is a scenario where, they agree to a mutual termination, which is basically both parties agree to just rip up the contract um, in MLS, apparently, because TFC just did this with one of their designated players. Uh, when you, you have a mutual termination, it doesn't, you know, it, you, you, it basically offsets all of the salary charges and roster spots and all that. So it's different from a buyout where um, a buyout, uh, you, you either take the hit in terms of cap space uh, or you do it, you use your one-time exemption in the offseason, and, um, you know, it, it doesn't apply to the cap. So um, maybe there is going to be a mutual termination here from Captoom. Um, there, there's also a story, as I say, I teased this a second ago, Tristison is rumored to be maybe going back to Malmo. Um, again, if if I'm Tristison or Captoom and I have a team interested in me and I want to move there, um, I, I think that it might be appealing to take that now and and just kind of you know accept a mutual termination i think captoom is a lot less likely because he's on a higher salary whereas tristison i think is only on three hundred thousand. so um i think maybe going back to malmo i i think that's a little bit more of a better fit i think tristan's been playing a little bit better than captoom but um i'd, I'd be surprised if there's a move for captoom uh but who knows it's very bizarre he's been dropped from this lineup maybe he is hurt i think that's not a bad theory i and my other thought on this too is, if there's going to be any sort of mutual, mutual termination, is that the the term you used? Yes. Uh, so if there's going to be any sort of mutual termination, I think, in order for that to to happen from the rev side, I think they need to say we have someone else coming in to fill this void because central midfield is not a great depth piece no. for the revs. No. What they yeah. have is not necessarily a very strong uh, options. If you're going to get rid of Tristan who's going to be filling that spot? Not that Tristan's necessarily providing a ton, but he's something. Same thing I, goes for Wilfred Captain. 
I agree 100%. Uh, and, you know, Tristison and Captoom might not be super valuable, but you know what is valuable, Chris? What's that? The merchandise at our sponsor, Glosso Kits. Mm-hmm. Their mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. They have United States men's national team merch. They have Revolution merch. Uh, they got a big, giant box of Miami Fusion merch uh, a couple weeks ago. There's a giant unboxing merch of just Miami Fusion stuff, which I know every single one of our supporters. Chris, do you know how many times I get emails and DMs from our supporters that say, do you know where I can find a autographed Miami Fusion soccer ball? Uh, I have, I, I've never, I mean, every day. But I'm guessing you probably finally, couldn't even count them. I, I have a folder in the Revolution Recap email that just goes to any, anything Miami Fusion. Uh, you know, there's a keyword. It goes straight to that folder, uh, and it's just so overwhelming. Uh, and now Glasso Kits has all the Miami Fusion merch that you people want. So go to GolassoKits.com today, check out their Miami Fusion selection, and use promo code REVSRECAP to save 15% off of your order. And go do it now, because everyone's going to be going, this Miami Fusion stuff is going to be flying off the shelves. So again, at GolassoKits on Twitter, GolassoKits on Instagram for updates on new inventory. And when you go there and when you see the Miami Fusion stuff of your dreams, promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order. Links and code are in the show notes. You know, I gotta say, Miami Fusion merch is the definition of limited availability. So, where else can you find Miami Fusion merch? <laughs> I don't know. Finding Miami Fusion merch anywhere is like finding Revolution stuff in the Patriots Pro Shop. It's just very rare. That is. That's Chris James rare. Downing asks us on Twitter. I think many of us cough. Greg weren't expecting this performance tonight. What did we do to tactically limit space? I, I think they just played very tight. They didn't make many mistakes, as I said to lead off. Um, I, I, I think they played very narrow. It actually is very interesting for those of you that are not within the New England region. If you listen to the Columbus broadcast, which is very good, by the way, uh, they interviewed Caleb Porter at halftime, and he did a, a very, very good explanation of how uh, the Revs were just disrupting channels uh, and playing narrow and really not giving them anything inside. And so uh, I think it was just a strategic uh, move by Arena to not give them certain areas and not sp- certain spaces. And they really kept a lot of their very, very dangerous players, um, you know, really, really disrupted, disrupted them. Cucho Hernandez really did nothing in this game, uh, which I think is pretty incredible considering how hot he was coming into this game. So uh, that's just my kind of two seconds on tactics, which is very basic, and I'm sure someone can explain a lot better than me. But, Chris, anything to add? Uh, I mean, they just kept it compact, like you said. Uh, I, I know I had, I had texted uh, you and Sean during the game, and I was really impressed with how, how tight they were playing and the fact that Bruce Arena actually kind of stuck to that uh, for quite a bit of the game. Uh Playing, I think there was eight at eight at a time, uh, nine sometimes. As far as how many players are are just back defending, and that's something that you don't typically see from this Revolution team. Uh, it's something that they've not uh, not done that I can remember at all this year. Um, so I think just just getting so tight like that. I mean, how how can you break it down? The rest have seen that. When you know, think about going and playing teams like Nashville, uh, it, it's just impossible to break them down. It's just infuriating and frustrating. Uh, and that's exactly what the Revs did to Columbus last night. 
I think it also helps having Matt Polster back out there for a full 90. Um, yes. I, I don't think he's had as solid a season this year, uh, but he's still a very, very valuable, good player. And having him out there uh, just seems like a, a very, very important uh, piece all the way around. So um, Polster, yeah, probably should mention him. 59 touches on the night, 48 for 53 passing. Uh, let's see here. Only one for four on ground duels. Uh, but recovered five balls, one tackle, one. Um, just a lot. Covers a lot of ground. Very, very important to uh, that. Much that like Sebastian field. Legette last night. You know, just a very under-the-radar performance from him. Uh, James also says, any thoughts on Moore to Nashville, Giacchini to Orlando, or to- Toronto demolishing Charlotte? Uh, oh, boy, I cannot pronounce words tonight. Charlotte. Seems like a lot of playoff hopefuls are getting stronger. Well, I'm not worried about Nashville. They're in the West. That's the West's problem now. Although the West is completely, there's like five points to, from Seattle to third place. I mean, that's a really interesting race there. I mean, outside of LAFC and Austin at the top, um, it's anyone's ball game. Uh, I, I think Shaq Moore is going to be a very, very good signing for Nashville overall. Um, Giochini for Orlando. Orlando is offensively limited so maybe he'll unlock something but that is not the sexiest signing i've ever seen in my life um you know it's certainly not what toronto signing so yeah toronto is is by far the i mean story of the weekend david civilian also says uh tfc looks like a completely different team a team brimming confidence um agreed um they're a little concerning they're a little far down on the standing page i think they've played an extra game than the revs and they are sitting at what 20 22 points through 22 games. So they've got some work to do. They have zero road wins. That seems like a bad thing to say on a podcast a week before we host Toronto FC. Um, cursed Revs can clip that out uh, if, if that comes back to haunt us. But um, yeah, TFC has some work to do, but they look very, very dangerous. Uh, and, you know, it's Charlotte. So I don't I don't really respect Charlotte a whole ton. I think they're going to fall down a little bit in the standings. They're not going to be in eighth place, but TFC concerning so uh yeah anything to add on that uh before i move to the rest of uh david civilian's question no i mean it 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 just should be a, a good match this weekend uh what tfc is bringing to foxborough so kind of excited to see some fireworks david also asks is there a chance their new de- designated players don't play due to turf if they do play how do you stop an attack like tfc tfc looks dangerous and energized i should add toronto fc is playing in the canadian championship on wednesday against vancouver so there's some minutes being managed here. Uh, obviously, whenever you implement new players into the squad, going a full 90 right off the bat doesn't always work. Uh, so I, I wonder if they go, they, they play some minutes in the Canadian Championship and they play, they come off the bench next week. Um, do they kind of go with a limited lineup in the Canadian Championship and go with a full lineup against the Revs? I don't think they do that. So uh, I, I'm curious to see if the Revs game is not necessarily a rest game, but maybe. Some of their more dangerous players come in 30 minutes uh, to go. Uh, it, it would be a game, I think, the Revs, it's very important to attack and get on the board first and keep Toronto on the back foot. Um, how do they limit the, or, or how do you stop an attack like TFC? I, I think it's just a matter of striking first and not making mental mistakes. Um, because, as I say, TFC still has a lot of things to work out, and hopefully they have limited minutes. Um, yeah, that's my thoughts. Chris, anything to add? Yeah, no, I mean, I think just when you when you combine the fact that, I mean, Gillette is turf uh, and they are playing on Wednesday. Yeah, I would not be surprised if you see uh, both Insigne and Bernadeschi uh, on the bench to start the match. And depending on how how the game goes, it will define whether or not 
we see them, but uh, I expect that they'd still come off the bench at some point. You don't make you don't spend that much money on players um, so that we can sit on the bench. I think it's going to be interesting too because they have a lot of ground to make up here. So I mean, you can't really rest players. So do they go ninety ninety and hope it works? Um, it's going to be interesting to see. But also, you got to wonder how. Uh, Michael Bradley, who has suddenly found the fountain of youth and scoring braces, uh, how his minutes are, you know, he, he's got over 30 knees here. So I, I don't think we're going to see 90 and 90 from him. So maybe we get a tired team. Maybe we get a limited minutes team. Uh, I'm not so sure we might get lucky here. But Mike Kennedy says that was one of the best performances of the season from the back four. Uh, thought Jones and Bai were especially dangerous when they found space. Uh, I agree 100 percent. But I wanted to read another comment here because I also agree with this comment a little bit. Uh, Randy LH really feels like Jones has fallen off a little bit this season, especially on the attack. Uh, if you agree, thoughts on why that is? So I, I agree with both of these comments. I think Jones and Bai were dangerous when they found space, particularly there was one spot where Jones kind of intercepted the ball, ran up the, the left side. I believe he forced a corner out of it. It was early in the first half. But ultimately, I don't think DeWan Jones is pushing up as much this season. Uh, I, I think teams are knowing to pressure down the right side a little bit more and keep DeWan Jones home uh, and make sure he's got to be concerned about his defensive responsibilities a little bit more. It seems like he is not getting up as much, but when he is getting up, it is dangerous. So I, I think those are two thoughts that are they're both valid. Uh, and I, I think DeWan Jones just isn't getting as many chances and as much shine in the attacking third. But I don't think it's a lack of ability. Uh, I, I just think it's a matter of um, he, he's got to focus on his defensive responsibilities a little bit more this season. Yeah, I think there might be also a little bit of Jones isn't flying under the radar anymore. Uh, I think teams are also preparing to face him uh, and expecting for that that speedy speedy type of uh, fight out of him. Um, but yeah, uh, otherwise, yeah, everything you said I agree with. Juwan Jones still has four assists this season, uh, which is, you know, not not bad for a right back. He had five last season. So um, three goals, five assists last season, one goal, four assists this season. So um, not totally off the radar, but yeah, I, I think teams are just not surprised by Dewan Jones overall. If foot mob uh, ratings matter for you, he was a 7.48 last season and he was a 7.11 this season. Uh, and, you know, obviously there's a lot that goes into that, but I, I think those that kind of encapsulates my thoughts on Dewan Jones, where he was all-star level last season. And this season, he's dropped off. Still a very, very good, potentially elite left back in, in MLS. Yep, I think I still think the Revolution have the best uh, uh, fullback combo in MLS. So. Agreed. Uh, and Bram Bayh looked very, very good last night as well. Uh, Jesse Marks, uh, why isn't Justin Rennick seeing the field? I talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, he has not played since a one-minute appearance versus Atlanta. I'm kind of surprised he's not getting minutes when J Josie's playing 80 minutes. That's Bruce's decision. It is what it is. But uh, Renex has not played since the Atlanta game. Um, his last really good chunk of time was a 58-minute appearance against Washington, D.C. Eight touches in that game in, in 58 minutes. One for two passing, one for four on ground duels. I'm going to be citing ground duels as a reason here in a second. Uh, before that game, his other appearance – I'll go through all of his major appearances this year. Before that, 88 minutes versus Charlotte. That's he had two shots, 18 or, or sorry, 12 for 14 passing, 30 touches in 88 minutes. He was three for 10 on ground duels. Not a good percentage either. Before that, 83 minutes versus Miami. He scored in that game. He was nine for 12 on passing, 25 touches, four for nine on ground duels. Before that, 61 minutes versus the Red Bulls, 
two shots, four for seven passing, 20 touches in 61 minutes, six for two for six on groundles. Uh, overall, he has 83 touches in 290 minutes. That's about 26 touches over a 90-minute span. Uh, he's not that impactful a player. Um, I'm not sure a striker is the best pos- position for him. I-, I listed his passing stats because he's a decent passer. He's a decent distributor. I wonder if trying him on the wing might help out a little bit. Uh, but it seems like Bruce trusts Josie certainly a lot more than Justin. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, but I-, I wonder if maybe retooling where he lines up uh, would help. Um, but ultimately, I think the real answer of why isn't he seeing the field, I think Bruce Arena is done with the Justin Renex experiment. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see him again in the rest of the season, and I wouldn't be shocked if this is the last season in New England. Um, are they giving up on him too soon? I don't think so. I just don't think he has a role in Bruce Arena's roster, and I wouldn't be shocked. I have no in, inside knowledge of this, but I wouldn't be shocked if Justin Renex, there's another team that wants Justin Renex. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if the Revs moved him in this window. You know, it's interesting, though. Why is Justin Rennox even on the game day roster? Uh, if if that's going to be the sort of case, um, I, I get that Gustavo Bo wasn't there, but Verioni was the one that came in. Uh, Josie played a ton of minutes. You still have Damian Rivera, who, you know, you're saying he's more of attacking midfield, and I guess that's technically his position, but I still see him more as... Uh, an up up top striker mold type player, maybe a false nine, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Why is Justin Renex here? Why didn't Ryan Spaulding make the bench? Because honestly, I think Ryan Spaulding could have been a bit uh, a bit of an impact in this game as well because just defensive need. Um, you're only defensive subs. I mean, you had John Bell, Omar Gonzalez, fine. Uh, not fine, but, you know, obviously you expect <laughs> that to be there. And then you have uh, AJ De La Garza. AJ De La Garza is not above Ryan Spaulding to me. So I don't know. It just it seems weird that that's what the subs were when you have Justin Renex. If he, if he if he is indeed gone, if Bruce has given up on him, why wouldn't Ryan Spaulding take his spot there? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it, I didn't it, mean to pr- pr- propose uh, that question. Like you I need would've... to know the answer. I, I would have started him over jo- just because I don't think Josie can go a full a big chunk of 70 minutes. I, I mean, what I didn't get into this. Why, when Vrioni comes in, why is Vrioni taking off a midfielder? Why isn't he taking off Josie? You're moving Josie to the left wing. I don't know. This is going to get me on a rant. We're already running over. Move on. Yep. Justin Reddick has played five minutes since the beginning of May. Um, I, I, I do think he deserved another try, but ultimately if you look at the numbers, he's just not involved when he's out there. Um, I would have, Ran him out there with Bo and Vrioni not ramped up to speed, but my guess is that when Vrioni gets ramped up to speed, Josie is the guy coming off the bench, and we're just not going to see Justin. I just I don't. Yep. Bruce, that's that's what I think Bruce feels, and I kind of disagree with it. Not to say that Justin Rex is an all-star, but I think this is a game where he probably could have played the first half and seen what happened. Uh, Mark says I think the four-two-three-one can work, but I think we need to have the uh, have the speed on our three, so our counterattack gets more opportunities to actually shoot the ball. Who would you want to see to make that form work better? Uh, Botang and Barrero. Uh, what about Bell for TM? I believe that's Tommy McNamara. I don't know how I feel about Bell in the central midfield. Um, I think maybe Maciel would be a better fit right there, but. Uh, he's looking for something to like these days. And he also says this tweet sounds more negative than I think it meant to be. Tonight wasn't the worst, uh, but the season is wearing on my spirit. Mark, me too. Uh, one thing I, I kind of liked was Rivera coming in late in the game for Botang. 
Um, I think Rivera, well, we're talking about Reddick's not seeing enough. I think Rivera showed a lot when he had his kind of bit of uh, playing time earlier this season. Glad he came on late. I still feel like Botang is the guy to bring in for a 10 or 15 minute cameo appearance because he's faster than Rivera. Uh, but certainly Rivera playing on the left wing. Like, why are we playing Tristison instead of Rivera? I I mean, I, I'd kind of like to see a little bit more of a sample size of Rivera than Tristison, who we know is leaving. So uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I do think the 4-2-3-1 could work, too. Um, I guess you'd put Bo on the left and then Legette on the right. And then you would put Brioni up top yep. with heel in the middle. Right? Sounds good to me. But where's not you know, we got to squeeze Barrero in there, too. Not the fastest. Uh, I will admit that is not the fastest wingers in the world. Uh, so maybe you move Bo to the right or and you put uh, Legette in the midfield, which I don't think is his best position, kind of as an eight. Uh, I think you, you might want him. In theory, he's a 10. But I think you use him as an eight to pair with Bolster. You put Bo on the right and then maybe you use Rivera and see how that works. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Well, one interesting thing here in Mark's question is that he brought up Boateng and I thought it was surprising that we didn't see Emmanuel Boateng get subbed on at all. Uh, you're looking for an impact player. I think that's the guy you're going for. I liked that Rivera got to see minutes. I think he deserves to see more time out there in general, but um, Boateng would have been the guy I put out there at that time. He's got faster legs than I think anybody on the team. Maybe Barrero's got him beat, but uh, regardless, uh, Boateng's going to be able to track back He's shown that he can track back. He's not necessarily a defensive liability. He's not playing a defensive position. Uh, why didn't Boateng get out there? I would like to see the fresh legs of Boateng with uh, the fresh legs of Giacomo Veroni. See how they can connect. Boateng whipping in those crosses that he likes to do. Uh, and he can also deliver low crosses, which I think is a valuable asset that no one else on this team seems to really be able to do. I I don't know. I could go uh, on a I, bit I more, but like, I would have liked to see Boateng get out there. I would have liked to have seen Boateng out there uh, instead of Josie Altador taking a nice little nighttime stroll uh, as a right-back blue body fire. Uh David Sibillian says, uh, I thought this result was fair. Good for the defense to get a clean sheet. Josie got some tape. I guess. Josie, yep, sure. Uh, Vrioni, game minutes. Going forward, I, I could see the Revs stick with the counterattack offense. Like how Nashville plays. We talked about this, Chris. Hey, yes, uh, yeah. thoughts on this. Yeah, it's certainly good that the Revs play this way. I will say... The Revs need points. We're going to get to David's second question here in a second. The Revs need points. I think it's too late in the season to adopt a Nashville-style defense. But mm -hmm. going on the road and getting a point like this and playing how Nashville plays, I think is good. Um, I think when you have a full-strength lineup, you're going to need three points. And I think playing for one point situationally is not a great idea at this stage. I think that this game, if this was the lead, the first game of the season, I think we're thrilled with this result. We love it. They they were shorthanded. They grinded out a point. That's great. Situationally, though, the Revs are starting to need to put three points together. They haven't won since Matt Turner's last game. Um, it's been a while since we've had a win. We need to start racking up the points. You know, I, I was thinking when the game ended last night, it, had this season been going any better, I would have been ecstatic with that result. But... At some point, I kind of felt like there was some points left on the table. I kind of felt like uh, they were inviting a bit too much pressure. I understand that was tactically uh, due to the personnel they had. Um, but I, I wasn't as excited about it as I maybe should have been because it was a really solid performance. 
I think when the lineup was revealed, I think everyone, every Revs fan would have taken a zero zero draw. Uh, yeah. Certainly. So um, well, we already we already anticipated the zero on our side. <laughs> yeah, boy, the way all time uh, dumbass decision by me. Um, that lineup came out. Uh, I, I rarely do this often, but occasionally I say, boy, um, you know, so so Seth broke the news about the Gustavo Bow thing. And I said, well, uh, you know, the, the lines haven't adjusted here and Columbus is a nice juicy plus 120. Uh, so I may have put down some American currency on that plus 120 line. And uh, it is a very, very dumb decision for me not to have just bet Columbus keeps a, keeps a clean sheet. Uh, big, big mistake on my end. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I deserved to uh, light that money on fire. It was the correct bet, in my opinion. The move, the, the line moved to minus 110 shortly thereafter. You know, sometime the right bet loses. But um, David Civilian also says out of a 39, possible 39 points over the final 13 games in the season, hypothetically, how many points do the Revs need to get into the playoffs? Chris, uh, I'm going to do my uh, impression. Uh, on Six Days One Podcasts, great former revolution podcast they they did this where they would calculate the playoff odds uh the, the hewitt 8000 i'm going to do my john hewitt impression here um last year 48 points got the seven seed in the east 48 points got the seven seed in the west that was with a tiebreaker in 2019 so we're skipping the covid year 2019 for, it was 45 and 48 2018 it was 46 and 48 so at a minimum the revs need 45 points i would say just with these projections these super scientific projections in my model yep. Uh, so the revs are 19 points off of that pace. That is 1.46 points per game. Ideally you get 50 points. I think that is a target for the revs. That is 24 points off. That is 1.85 points per game. Um, and by the way, for the people that think TFC is going to be, uh, rising up and making the playoffs and making a deep run with, after the Charlotte game, they need 1.91 points, uh, to reach 50 points over their final 12 games. So they need to start racking up the wins more than we do. Um, Right now, the Revs are currently at 1.24 points per game, so they need to stack up some wins. Where do these 19 to 24 points come from? I've kind of looked ahead of their schedule. DC, home versus DC, home versus the Galaxy, home versus Chicago. The Galaxy and Chicago fall in the same week, so it might be tough to get back-to-back wins on short notice. But in my opinion, those should be wins. That is nine points. You have winnable games, home versus Atlanta. You go on the road to Chicago on decision day. That might be a Chicago team that's not very motivated. You go on the road in a midweek game to Houston. That might be hot. That might be a little bit difficult, but still, I think that's winnable. You go on the road to Orlando. That will probably be a tough game, but it's a very important game. Let's say you win two of those. You draw one. That gets you seven points. You're at 16. So regardless, from the remaining six games, which is New York City FC at home, Toronto FC next week at home, you also go to Toronto. You play Montreal home and away, and then you play the Red Bulls on the road. Those are all teams that are above you and well, not TFC, but um, excluding TFC, which is a very strong bottom of the table team. Uh, those are tough matchups. You're going to need four to 10 points from those six games. So you need to take care of your business against weaker opponents. That's why I don't think you bunker in too, too much and focus on counterattacks. I think you need to come out. I think you need to punch teams in the mouth. Uh, and as I say, I think you're going to need to take points from those six tougher games going down the stretch. So that's where the points come from. Um, that is my kind of estimate. We're looking for 50 points. Um, every game is important. Every point is important. And um, I think last week I said it was about 55-45. I'm probably at about 52-48 in terms of yes making the playoffs. That's where the, the current uh, Johnstone 8000 playoff projection system is right now. You know, I, I, I remember you making those 
projections and when i was listening in last week um my thought was exactly what you had said with the 55 45 and i'm actually still kind of there um looking at at what's in front of the revs i know you said that chicago is a team that's ahead of the revs technically the revs are higher if you want to look at points per game uh the revs have a game in hand uh but a bunch of the teams that are ahead of the revs i'm looking chicago charlotte cincinnati i'll lump columbus in there and orlando has been hit or miss this year um i I think the revs are better than all of those teams Uh, they're able to jump out they're able to score um and now they've just kind of overhauled their offense i don't think that's necessarily going to slow them down excuse me um I think, you know, their defensive woes has definitely been the issue. Uh, It's been a point of focus uh, for this transfer window, it feels like. Not necessarily in bringing players in, but just in this last couple of weeks, it's been a a very big uh, focal point. Um, You've heard from the players that that Bruce Arena has been very much talking about keeping their composure and making sure that they they can close out a game. That's been... The Achilles heel of the revolution for 2022. They've dropped 24 points, I believe it was, um, from games where they've had a lead. So if the Revs can start getting those leads and hanging on to them and not collapsing, they are going to be one of the top teams in the East. And if they can com- put together some um, some strong strong performances at the end of the season, they could be going into the playoffs as a really hot seed. Uh, not, not a hot seed, but a hot team, um, mm-hmm. probably with a low seed, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, that's the optimistic side of me, and that's why I'm still kind of sitting at 55, 45. Um, I, I think they can go on a run. Are they going to is the big question. I think the other thing, too, is that if you look at the top of the table, the top four teams are starting to pull away. Philadelphia, 42. New York City, 41. Red Bulls, 36. Montreal, 35. The Revs are at 26 points. That's going to yep. be tough to catch up to. It is. Yep. Um, it is. So Columbus has improved. I think Columbus is making the playoffs. So right now, Orlando and Cincinnati are the two teams, you know, there's going to be a ton of teams fighting for those spots. Charlotte, Chicago, New England, Miami, one point behind New England, Atlanta, two points behind New England, Toronto, four points behind New England. Again, they have work to do, but they can probably do it. You have, Mm -hmm. what is that? Six teams out of the playoff picture that potentially could squeeze into one of those two playoff spots. So it's going to be a very, very cluttered, system and that's why i added road at orlando that's that might be a tough game but that that might be the key game going down the stretch where the revs in orlando might be battling for that final spot so technically i think if you look at the optimistic glass half full side the revs right now are two points from cincinnati in the seventh spot and they have a game in hand on cincinnati so really they and they they have a game in hand on charlotte and chicago who they're tied with on points but i think they're just in the middle of a very very interesting pack of teams that there could be three or four teams that get really, really hot. And if you're the revs, if you get to that 46, 47, 48 threshold that gets you the seven seed in years past, it might not be enough. So I think they got to find a way to get 24 points in these last 13 games, get to that 50 point threshold. Cause that seems to be kind of the safe point and just hope that these teams that are currently five through 13 in the East draw drop points get in each other's way that the revs can kind of just rise up, but the revs are, are definitely going to need to take care of business. They can't have any games like the real salt Lake game uh, earlier this year. 
Um, boy, I mean, I, I've blocked out so many bad results in this, this season. Um, but yeah, there's it, a lot it, of it, 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 it hasn't been great. So, um, they need to start taking care of business and the margin of error is very, very thin at this stage. Chris, any final thoughts before we go here today? Uh, not a ton. Just looking forward to seeing how, uh, how the Revs defense is going to, is going to handle against, uh, the likes of Insignia and Bernadeschi and, uh, if we see them, um, I presume at some point in the game, we'll see them if they don't start. So, uh, it should be a fun one. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, but, you know, hopefully more more strong performances um, like last night to close mm-hmm. out the season. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this heat kind of breaks a little bit. I don't know about you, but it has been terrible down here uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, before we go, just wanted to say one more time, uh, check out the live stream of the Supporters Cup next week, next Sunday at 2. We will again, uh, we are going to have a podcast next weekend, but it might be coming out after that game. So uh, make sure you uh, check on social media for the live stream of that. And also please be sure to check out all the sweet, sweet Miami Fusion merch over at Galasso Kits. Please use promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order on all that sweet, sweet, sweet Miami Fusion merchandise. You can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap and follow our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. Also be sure to follow our friends at The Bent Musket. Uh, on Twitter, they are at The Bent Musket, and be sure to follow their work online at www.thebentmusket.com for year-round coverage. Also, be sure to follow our friends, The Rebellion, at The Rebellion on Twitter, and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them. Please don't tell them that I forgot to tell you that the key takeaways are sponsored by The Rebellion. I forgot to do that again, didn't I, Chris? Yeah, it's okay, though. I think we talked about the uh, the Supporter Shield Cup a lot. Or I'm really Cup. bad at that. I'm really yep. bad at that. Hand up, my bad. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you could please rate and review us five stars, it would help people looking for revolution content. Find it. We've been sat on 80 reviews for a long time. I'm starting to worry, Chris, that people just don't like our show enough to rate it. So if you like our show enough to rate it, please go do that. We'll be back next week following the TFC game until then. Thank you everyone for listening and go Revs.